and welcome to the Point of Care Ultrasound Certification Academy podcast, where we focus on POCUS. Here, we will discuss all things related to Point of Care Ultrasound, the practice, the trends, and its impact on healthcare. Our program will engage thought leaders who are defining global patient care with the stethoscope of the future. Hello, James Day here recording live from the Focus on Pocus Studios. We're at a brand new studio. We've moved across town and we are ready to try some new things. So today we have two ultrasound professionals as our honored guests. We have Stuart Wildman from the United Kingdom and we have Neek Vink from the Netherlands. How are you guys today? Very good, thanks. Very good. Thank you. <laughs> so let's start with uh, let's start with Neek. Nick, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. Uh, so my background is that I'm a physiotherapist. Um, and I started about eight years ago. I started using MSK ultrasound in the clinic, mostly scanning hands and, uh, and wrists back then. Um, and then I kind of got the virus of the, uh, the ultrasound, and I, um, I applied for a job for teaching ultrasound. And um, I did this with uh, a company called NTE. It's National Training Center for Ultrasound in the Netherlands. And I've been there since for about five years now. I'm in full-time working, uh, teaching uh, ultrasound there. And it's uh, only MSK ultrasound that, that, that I do. Wow. Okay. Uh, Stuart, tell us a little about yourself. Yeah. Um, so I, I come from the same background as Neek, obviously um, in the UK, not over in the Netherlands. Um, but I've been in and around Oxtown for many years now, um, observed my colleagues, and then I, I did a training program in the UK, which is uh, called a PG-CERT, um, case-accredited musculoskeletal sonography program. Um, and like Nick, I, I kind of got the bug for it. Um, I really enjoyed it. I was learning new things, meeting other professionals who were who were using Oxtown as well in their practice. Um, and then since then, I've, I've, I've sort of gone on to uh, develop something called the ultrasound site which is a website that i run um and uh, i also now work in, in a quite an interesting split clinical role full-time so i work in uh, radiology two days a week doing diagnostic and guided interventional work but also i work in a physio role in the uk which is a it's known as an extended scope or an advanced practice role where we can request for investigations uh imaging but i can use ultrasound in clinic uh, and inject under guidance. So I have a, uh, if, I guess if you like, a, a POCUS role, but mm-hmm. also a, a traditional radiology role um, each week, which is um, really interesting and stimulating. So tell us about the uh, physiotherapy or MSK ultrasound at the UK landscape. Yeah, so um, it's, a, it's an evolving and um, developing area, and it's, it's been around for quite a while. Um, I'm certainly not um, the first person to start using it in the UK. It's been around... Uh, for several years really being utilized uh, particularly in sort of physiotherapy clinics in, in the NHS I guess initially um, and it's, it's, it's grown uh, increasingly over the last few years with a number of physios now teaching it as well on a certain level uh, and running training programs uh, for lots of different professionals mm-hmm. um, and I think it's just a natural adjunct, I think, for a lot of MSK clinicians uh, to start to bring into their practice both in private practice um, but also in the NHS and uh, injection therapy is something we can also use in the UK um, 
as a physiotherapist and there's quite a, an established competency route uh, for that and so going on to do guided injections is also a, a relatively natural step for, for physios in the UK to use it. Um, so it's, it's, it's a blossoming area and, we, and we're, we've actually got a, a slot coming up this November at our national conference in Birmingham uh, to talk about point of care ultrasound which is um, quite an um, exciting prospect because the first time we've actually had a slot if you like at our national conference to try and um, broadcast about our, our passion for the topic. Well, it, it makes perfect sense with upper and lower extremity and soft tissue. I mean, especially in physiotherapy. My God, I mean, it seems like it's a match made in heaven. So, so Nick, uh, do you see a necessity for any kind of certification? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. In, um, I don't know how this is in the States, but uh, in the Netherlands, there is no regulation whatsoever um, as to who uses ultrasound or even uses the, the, the term um sonographer you know mm -hmm. you can call yourself a sonographer if you like mm -hmm. it's not uh, protected this title so uh, in the worst case scenario a, a physio could buy for five thousand euros an ultrasound machine on ebay and just start it scanning and nobody's going to stop him so um one, on the one hand that's a good thing that there's no laws in place it can give you a lot of uh, freedom but uh, the, the downside is that, uh, yeah, a lot of people are buying machines without getting proper trainings. And this is, uh, I think, starting to become more and more an issue because it's gaining a lot of popularity, like Alex Stewart said. Yes, and I know, I know the butterfly's out stateside, um, and that's only, that's only $2,000. Mm. So how much is 5,000 euros, by the way? Mm -hmm. Any idea? I guess we've got to do a three-way translation, don't we? <laughs> five five thousand euros is, is what oh, in current current uh, Brexit time it's what probably um about four thousand nine hundred and ninety nine pounds probably. Ten million for you yeah. guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh okay, so uh Stuart, um let's talk about uh the benefits to uh clinical practice, what's happening over there. Maybe the training routes in the UK too. Yeah, so I guess I no I, I from, from just from what Neat said, you know, it's um, it's, a, it's a very similar landscape in the UK, and I guess um, I was writing something today actually about this and how, in some ways, you can almost view it as a clinical practice driven by the mobility of systems like the butterfly or the sonon or various different things, um, has actually accelerated away from the governance and the the teaching um, programs that are provided. Right. Um, and so uh, again, you know. Ultrasound is re relatively unregulated in the UK, and there's no overarching educational system. And so, what's happened is it's it's ended up being quite fragmented. Uh, to certainly, there are some organisations like the the Case Organisation in the UK, which are driving a lot of standards around ultrasound uh, training programmes at universities. But there's also a lot of um, training programmes like programmes that are being developed by specific professional bodies as well, such as sports medicine or within rheumatology. Because there's this fragmented landscape, uh, people respond to it by creating their own different training programs, which in some ways just fragments it further. Um, but there's, I think that the beauty in some ways, as Nick sort of said, is that this, this enables growth and innovation, particularly at the point of care, I think, outside of a traditional radiology um, setting. Um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a really interesting area i think from growth of practice but also the governance the politics around it um etc etc 
Um, so that's kind of the, I guess, the training landscape in the UK is quite, um, it's quite uh, sort of, yeah, as I say, quite fragmented, but also quite open for innovation hmm. and development. Nick, same thing in the uh, Netherlands? Mm, I think they're further ahead in the UK because they have uh, the, the case accredited uh, courses. Um, for that course, for instance, you have to um, get around, I think it's 150 cases. Is that correct, uh, Stuart? Uh, it's, usually, it's usually 250. Oh, wow. And some of that, some of that supervised. Yeah, some of that's some, yeah. some of that's supervised and some of that's unsupervised. But yeah, that, that tends to be the standard yeah. number of uh, mentor scans. Yeah, so that that gives it like a, a certain base, a very good base level to start up. It's it's not perfect yet, what I understood from Stuart. But uh, in Holland, there's just uh, basic ultrasound courses and, you know, there's not really any, any supervised scanning. And I think this, um, this mentoring, you know, getting supervised by somebody to tell you if your conclusions you are drawing are correct or not, that's very important to get a good uh, learning curve with ultrasound. And uh, I think they are further ahead with this in the UK. So what do you think about the learning curve for learning, let's say, MSK ultrasound in Holland? Um, it depends very much on what your your interest uh, of area is. For instance, uh, I had a um, course participant the other day. He uh, He's just scanning uh, shoulders in his clinic. So he sees about uh, 80 shoulders patients per uh, per week. So his learning curve, if he's going to scan them all, or at least half of them, uh, is, is going to go very fast. But most physios, they, they do the whole body, and then they buy an ultrasound machine, and they start scanning the whole body just a bit, you know, two shoulders a week, or and then one ankle mm-hmm. a week, or even less. And then that doesn't help the learning curve very much. So... Um, so I think that's a very important factor to, to calculate. Yeah, and uh, as a physical therapy, you guys are um, you guys are definitely well trained and versed in anatomy. That's one of the shortcomings of the sonographers on the states. Um, unless you're in sports medicine or something specific mm-hmm. to that, you just don't have the anatomical background. Unless say you're focused on cardiac or abdominal, you're kind of you're kind of pigeonholed as a sonographer. Um, unless you do focus training, and you're an all body sonographer. I think the yeah yeah the anatomy is just you know having been in and Nick I'm sure will probably feel the same is that having been in around ultrasound education for <clears throat> several years now teaching events etc cetera, etc cetera, um, you just become more and more aware of the importance of having a, a really clear anatomy blueprint in your head before you mm-hmm. start scanning uh, or the importance of just having that generally um, in clinical practice and um, something we've started to try and bring into our courses more is the anatomy teaching to to help people just visualize uh, bony landmarks, you know, the courses of certain tendons to try and help with that learning curve. Um, but it's, yeah, anatomy is, is, is vital. Uh, that, the anatomy knowledge. How much do you, uh, okay, I'll direct this to Nick. How much is uh, diagnostic and how much of your clinical practice is procedural? For physios um, in Holland, yes. at least. Uh, it's not allowed to um, to inject anything. So uh, if you talk about interventional, sometimes uh, physios might stick a needle in a person, but that will be a dry needle. So it's not hollow, the needle. Uh-huh. It's a, uh, what, an acupuncture needle, for instance. Mm-hmm. And you can do this with ultrasound guidance as well to, to guide it to a tendon or in a, in a muscle, for instance. But uh, we're not allowed to do actual injections but um, because by law we're not allowed to do this and in England you have the extended scope rule where in the, when you're in this role you can 
uh, do these kind of procedures. So uh, not real interventions in Holland. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the UK, um, to answer your question, James, around mm-hmm. you know, sort of diagnostic slash procedure, I think in, in physiotherapy, it's, it's, it's hugely varied. And I think that depends, one, on your caseload of the sort of patients that you see who are appropriate for mm-hmm. injection therapy. Um, you know, certainly uh, certain services in certain areas with certain patient groups will inject different amounts uh, and have a requirement to inject different amounts. Um, and so in physiotherapy, the, the flow of injections or procedures, if you like, under guidance will, will really vary from day to day. If you look at a radiology setting, for example, um, it's much more intense. So um, because radiology is receiving referrals from people who have already, from patients, patients who have already been screened essentially by a different clinician, um, there's a lot more technique there to deliver the technique ultimately. So, um, you know, you, you're doing a lot more injections um, per day than you would ever do probably in um, in physiotherapy. Yeah, well, I was talking to, uh, I think, Greg Frisk uh, in Oregon. He had, uh, yeah. he took a, a Claris and was doing some uh, scanning and just basically started learning on his own because uh, no PTs were, were doing mm. it at all. And uh, it's become yeah. really an extension of his physical exam. It's, he was actually he did a podcast with us uh, a couple series back. Yeah, so I think um, initially when you if you look at sort of areas of practice where ultrasound isn't being utilised, and it takes somebody to go the extra lot, a few yards like you know, Greg's done, or whatever. Where you know there's not an established training program, you have to self-teach yourself. So those people in the UK have done that yeah. as well, and who have sort of led the way you know the trailblazers essentially um so i wouldn't consider myself one of them i've I've just followed in behind um you know but but these guys have put the hard yards in they've built up the skill themselves and um all credit to them i think so i know in the uh, in in the uk i believe sonographers could even do transesophageal so every place is different the amount of duties that you can do i know in the states it's only a physician that can do that and I'm, I'm talking about cardiac sonographers in general here. But uh, so uh, you guys got any recent cases that uh, your ultrasound training and skills helped solve? Something interesting to talk about? How about you, Neek? Yeah, I think two weeks ago I had an interesting case. We had a, a woman attending one of mm-hmm. our courses. She's a physio. And um, uh, she was complaining of having some cramps in the lower leg, in the calf area. Uh, when she was running, and uh, usually at around one or two kilometers of running, uh, she would get these cramps in her right leg. And um, so we did a, an examination of the leg and also with the dorsal knee. And uh, usually what you find here is a, is a baker's mm-hmm. cyst. And the baker's cyst usually tends to stay very um, superficial, you know, uh, just below the subcutaneous area. But we saw that in her case, um, this uh, baker's cyst went proximal, and went deep to the uh, the muscles of the the hamstring, hmm. and uh, and what you could actually see on the images uh, is that it was touching the popliteal uh, artery. Uh, so this was a, a clear case where there was a compression of the popliteal artery, which apparently um, got worse when she started running. So I referred to her to uh, for an aspiration. She got it aspirated, and uh, just today actually I got a message from her saying that. She doesn't have the cramps anymore when she's running. 
So uh, that was an interesting case. Wow. Stuart, do you think you can top that? That's a great case. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Britannia. <laughs> Here you go. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, I've got, you know, I, plenty of interesting cases. And I guess um, working in um, two different domains, I, I get kind of quite a broad um, spectrum of pathology. Mm-hmm. I think... Um, I think there's a couple of ways you can clarify as well is that, is that some of the cases um, show findings that sometimes you maybe would suspect from a, a clinical assessment that um, you can then actually just facilitate the pathway by using ultrasound. You're not having to sort of say it could be this, it may be this. You're saying it is this and therefore we will do X, Y and Z. And I think things that come under those sort of categories are um, sometimes fractures that are quite obvious clinically. Uh, certainly ultrasound is quite useful for looking at bone um, sort of surface markings and, and cortical changes. So things like Grace tuberosity fractures around the shoulder. had a nice case of um, somebody was referred in for forefoot pain, uh, question mark Morton's neuroma. And I find that ultrasound the forefoot is quite an interesting area because it's so superficial. So you can get really good image quality usually. Uh, and this patient had a, a stress fracture. Uh, they'd had an x-ray, which would be normal, but it was within... Uh, the 10-day period, which tends to be normal with a stress fracture. So uh-huh. that was quite nice. Uh, we've had foreign bodies. So I've had people with ankle pain with um, uh, large splinters across the front of their ankle. Um, I've had all the physio in the world and podiatry in the world for, for ankle pain, but it's been a big splinter uh, in the soft tissues. Um, and I think another, another nice area that's developing is um, the use of ultrasound to pick up synovitis and tendon inflammation. So patients with um, maybe quite episodic pain um, in more than one joint, uh, seeing those people in a clinical setting and then using ultrasound to uh, just gain more information, um, you know, picking up patients who sort of come in with, with hand pain, you scan it and it's a, a sign of or inflammation of a joint. And you sort of say, oh, have you got any other symptoms? Oh yeah, well, my ankle's a bit sore. And you scan that, they got tenosynovitis of their tib post tendon um, and just and just just helping guide that patient on the right pathway onto rheumatology for example in that situation or whatever um, you know I think we're, we're kind of merging onto talking about the benefits here aren't we in practice but um, I think the cases often reflect that and how it can impact impact practice as well that's impressive um, Nick this is for you uh, clinical reasoning around the images and asymptomatic findings mm. Anything uh, you can speak Ooh, to that about? Oh, the hot topic. No. Oh, boy, yes. Pandora's the, box. Pandora's the, box, yes. The physical yeah, exam versus the ultrasound. <laughs> here we go again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, a, a very delicate topic. Um, I think within the recent developments, there's a lot of critique towards mm-hmm. uh, doing, doing scans. Um, because of the amount of asymptomatic findings you can, uh, you can get. Um, so yeah, the, you need some solid clinical reasoning. What I usually tell my students is that before they even start scanning uh, patients with shoulder pain, they should start scanning just regular people without shoulder pain of different ages, you know, because you need to have seen a lot of uh, tears, for instance, or tendinosis uh, in people without complaints, because otherwise... Uh, the unexperienced clinician is going to see a thickened tendon and going to directly think, okay, this must be correlated with their symptoms because it's, it's, uh, it looks um, like a structural deformity. And I think that's a very, 
very uh, difficult topic. I don't know about you, uh, Stuart. You have some uh, good insights on this. Yeah, I think yeah, as you say, this is a hot topic, and it's I think particularly in the UK, it's born out of um, spinal imaging actually, and MRI findings, mm-hmm. and asymptomatic but pathological MR findings. Mm-hmm. Um, and the impact that, that can have on patients' beliefs, response to treatment for, for, for low yeah. back pain, and I think and I think it's now kind of merging into to other areas such as the shoulder, where we know that there's a lot of asymptomatic pathological findings that are, are, are prevalent prevalent with age. And I think I, my question in my head is always that you know are these things new things? And you know if you look back through the studies around it and we've actually been aware of, of all these asymptomatic pathological findings for, for many years. Um, and I don't think it, get, it doesn't get away from the fact that um, it's about how you communicate and normalize these findings. I think this is one of the yeah. benefits of POCUS, ultimately, mm-hmm. um, is that you're, you're, you're drawing that, that imaging report into the clinical domain. So somebody's assessing the patient, mm-hmm. they're able to put the imaging report in the right context for the patient. So we're, we're, we're immediately handling those those findings appropriately we might be saying to them look there are some there are some changes around this area you know what it's quite normal for your age um it's nothing unusual and actually i don't think it is it actually reflects why you've got your symptoms so you, you normalize those findings as opposed to somebody seeing that report or having a, a brief description of that report in isolation and that's when it becomes a little bit more uh, sticky wicket if you like in terms yeah. of where they go from there um so i think i I think it's an in, it's a really interesting thing, and I think um, Nick, you raised a really good point of people having a good breadth of understanding, and that's why then you come back full circle to the training and why the training is so important because um, it's got to package it up correctly, and people have got to have the right expectation, understanding of of what they're doing from the outset. I think. Yeah, <clears throat> you know, uh, that's interesting, and I really like the way you work sticky wicked into that. You know, that's probably. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite colloquialisms from across the pond. And I don't yeah, ever get yeah. an opportunity. Some, oppor- some classic phrases for you, James. Oh, I appreciate that. I'm trying to figure out a way to work in uh, Quonset Hut or Schenectady in there, but I, I, I'm, draw- I'm drawing a blank. So I can't. I can't I'll, try, uh, I'll try and think of some more. <laughs> so I guess and now <laughs> in closing here, as we pull back the curtain, peer through the ethers, what do you guys see as the future of uh, point of care? How about you, Nick? You want to start that off? Oh, the future, yeah. I'm, I mean, it's going to become more and more uh, available. So uh, the future is going to be that probably every clinic is going to have a, a machine. I think that's mm-hmm. where we are headed. And yeah. uh, uh, that comes with uh, some more responsibility as well, of course. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We really need some uh, form of registration here in the in the Netherlands. That's a that's a problem because I'm I'm seeing some cowboys in the in the field. Mm-hmm. We call them cowboys. Sure, the people you know that start shoot, yeah, shooting yeah. their diagnosis after after the weekend course. They shoot their diagnosis at the patient, and uh, and you know it's not uh, it's not doing the the the. the our fame very good. How do you say this? It's not good for our yeah, um, reputation. I, I think you nailed it. Yeah. 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 And, uh, and we need some form of registration, but it's so incredibly hard, you know, because if somebody only scans shoulders, why does he have to learn to scan a wrist, you know, and, uh, or a foot, or do you have to learn the whole body or we're going to have to make like, uh, certain certifications just for a certain area or not. And, 
it's just it's a, such a complicated topic. And, and when is enough enough, you know, to train? Yeah. And, uh, it, it's it's really hard. We've been struggling with it. I talked about it with Stuart a couple of times. Maybe you have some good ideas, uh, Stuart. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, well, yeah. I mean, I, I guess in terms of answer, yeah, I'll come on to that, Nick. But I guess in terms of answering your yeah. question around the future again, James, I agree with Nick and what everything he said that um, if it, if there is no sort of regulation around access to to machines, then. You know, we know this with our mobile phones and everything else, don't we? That, that technology is rapidly advancing. Systems are getting more and more mobile. Uh, they're getting cheaper and they're getting better at what they can do. So, in other words, you're you're bringing the image quality from a high-end cart system uh, into a into a probe that plugs into your laptop or plugs into your wireless system that mm-hmm. transmits to your laptop. So, so inevitably, access is going to increase. More people are going to want to use it, I think. And I think my my fears around it, around the future, are uh, again, as Nick has touched on, around quality of of what is actually taking place, and it, and it links back to all those things we talked about in terms of understanding asymptomatic pathology, um, handling it appropriately, all of these different things, and that's why training is is so important, and uh, to ensure that you've got a standard of practice, um, and without that, um, you've, you've got a hugely varied landscape of people doing varied levels of training um, on, on, again, ultimately on different levels of machines. We haven't even talked about that, but different levels of machine and quality of machine. And so you're then at a situation where is that posing a risk to, to patients? And that's, that's ultimately what it comes down to, I think, um, in terms of quality. Um, but the, so, the good side yeah. is, though, that there are so many physios that are doing fantastic jobs, you know, they're doing. They're giving mm. such good quality care to patients. The ones that that really yeah. pick it up the right way are are really, really doing wonderful things in primary care. So that's yeah. that's the, the good part. And uh, I wish everybody was doing it like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think the nature of the beat, the nature of the beat is because it is so accessible. Is you will have a, obviously varying levels of people's competency to use it. It's just about how you try and bring that all up as a whole. Um, alongside the, the increase in access, I guess. But it's, um, there's an exciting future. And I think the other thing is we, as we start using more, we under, we, we're starting to understand or research more around patient presentations and pathologies, you know, stuff we've never really considered before. And ultrasound's only just starting with that with MSK to some, to some extent. You're right. I wonder if they went through the same sort of thing where with, with the stethoscope back in the eight, early 1800s when... Mm. The technology outpaced the training and the skill set. So, yeah, I don't know. That was a random thought. I, I apologize for that. No, no, uh, it draws comparisons, <laughs> doesn't it? <laughs> so, listen, Stuart Wildman uh, from the United Kingdom and Nick Vink from Holland slash Netherlands. Thank you guys for being our honored guests and taking the time to be here on today's show. Two uh, experienced physiotherapists using ultrasound in their practice and training. We appreciate the audience for listening in. Don't forget that for even more POCUS talk, follow us on Twitter at POCUS Academy and on Facebook at POCUS Cert Academy. Guys, it was an honor to have you on our podcast, and I thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye, then. Bye-bye. Bye. No Cheerio? Oh, well. Cheerio. <laughs> oh, thank you. I appreciate <laughs> that, Stuart. Oh, this is bollocks. <laughs> <laughs> We hope you enjoyed today's podcast, Focus on Pocus. 
Be sure to tune in with us next week for more interviews with thought leaders that are on the forefront of global point-of-care ultrasound. Thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests and not those of Intelios. This podcast is for information purposes only.